Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chijang, culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing The Bear and American Girl, a TV series and a film about making the best of the family that you've got, for better or worse. Yes. Um, how's your week been, love? Uh, that's pretty much the answer. Very that. <laughs> It's yeah, yeah. I guess the the elephant in the room, of course, is the end of Roe v. Wade as we know it. It has not been a great few days, just in light of that. What about yeah. you? How are you doing, Pellen? You know, I'm okay. Extremely depressed about the news. Obviously, what's new? And yeah, I mean, it's weird because obviously I didn't. I, I can't vote in this country. Um, mm. I live here. I've lived here for the last six years. I'm one of those people that's like, you know, worst case scenario, I'll just move back to London. Um, yeah, but then again, it's not. It's you know, there's still some creeping fascism in the UK. <laughs> um, so everywhere I look to my yeah, I look to my left, I look to my right, um, and you know, I look to like the motherland in Turkey, and it's all just shit. Um, mm. So I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to listen to something that my mom said which is sometimes you just need to get up and do things and change the life of one or two people if that's the extent of your activism then you did it like so that's the main thing is like i'm trying to remember that there is i do have some power as an individual sometimes these sometimes if not all the time these institutions and these politicians fail us so it's all about community baby that's kind of uh it's kind of where i'm at yeah, I bought uh, I bought a calamondin tree, and that's helping my mood immensely. <laughs> that ca- that tree does not know how much pressure I'm putting on it for my mental health. God, it better um, not die. It better not. Oh my god, <laughs> can, can you imagine? I just got it. It better not die. Um, <laughs> so I might be sending you some marmalade um, oh in the next couple months. Hopefully, you're gonna become like a a canning jarring uh, like listen, everything. Listen. You know, whenever we watch like the world ending apocalyptic movies and there's just that one dickhead in the middle of the forest that is like, leave me alone. I'm yeah. just growing all my fruit and veg and I, I haven't talked to anyone in 50 years. That's me. Like, that's powerful. <laughs> when the that's, apocalypse comes, yeah. that's going to be me. Um, it's just me and my nature babies, you know? Yeah. We can only hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully there's something for me to grow. Um, that'd be great. <laughs> anyway like many of us that have been trying to escape as best as we can we have been escaping into into our screens obviously um so speaking of medium screens what have you been watching this week jenny so this week i've been watching the bear on hulu or fx on hulu to be mm-hmm. specific so this is a new series created by Christopher Storr. It consists of eight episodes in this first season, and all those episodes are currently available to stream. So you can go forth and kind of crush it as as I did uh, yes. last week. So this series is about a young chef nicknamed Carmi, played by Jeremy Allen White, who leaves his rising star career in the world of fine dining to return to Chicago and take over his family's Italian beef like sandwich restaurant, which has been left to him by his older brother who killed himself. And this whole first season follows his and his new sous chef, Sydney, um, who's played by Iowa Debris, that a lot of people might recognize her, as they yeah. struggle to transform the restaurant 
and they are often met with hostility by the back of house staff, including most particularly Carmi's kind of pseudo cousin slash his brother's best friend, uh, Richie, played by Evan Ross Bachrock. So uh, it's a kitchen show. It's a restaurant show, mm-hmm. which it's always, uh, I think, of interest to me for... Yeah, I don't know various reasons, but for some yeah, I mean for some context, me and Jenny met when we worked. Well, I still work at Eater, but um, yeah. Jenny Jenny used to work at Eater. That's how we met, and yeah. I'm still there as a video producer, and uh, we're both very familiar with this world. Like we know this world. Yeah, I am in these kitchens for work all the mm-hmm. time. So this w- <laughs> when we saw the. When we saw the news of this coming out and the trailer for it coming out, there's a part of me that like rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, the food world is going to be insufferable <laughs> it's about like, this. The thing um, is, like, when you're working in the food media world, yeah. there are only so many things you can do to cover like film and TV. Um, yeah. You have to find either the barest excuse of a sort of food angle in on like any popular currently yeah. show or TV. Yeah. Like, yeah. for Parasite, oh, let me talk about the. You know the, um, the the spicy noodles with the, the beef. spicy noodles with beef. Yeah, or let yeah. me talk about the like the 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 food that the housekeeper's allergic to or something. That's yeah. the only way you can kind of find your way in. Yeah. Or you just hope and pray for a show like this that you can like go yeah. all in on. This is like your Game of Thrones. You, you yeah. need to produce all the content surrounding something like this. So. And it, because because half the time the content that is produced kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> You know, there have been TV shows about restaurants that have come out in the last couple of years that I just simply thought were terrible. <laughs> so um, yeah. it's always good when something is slightly above average. Um, yeah. So here we are. Yeah. So, you know, moving into this actual show, uh, how many episodes did you get through, Pellin? And what are your initial thoughts? Um, I finished it. I finished okay. the whole season. Okay, me too. My initial thoughts... This is going to sound mean. It's not as mean Oof. as it sounds. All right. All right. I think it's a solid six out of 10. Okay. 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 That's we can get into it. I'll get into it. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll, I'll let you like explore the different themes and stuff and I can chime yeah. in where I can. But it's, um, it reminds me of a TV show, you know, that turn of the prestige TV, but like kind of easing its way into it. So it mm. reminds me a lot of Shameless, for example, which is. Uh, like American Shameless yeah who is also in it obviously exactly also set in Chicago but I just mean that in that there is a type of TV show that is about a place and about a group of people that is very in terms of like mid TV shows it's the best it's gonna get like it's a really good mid TV show Okay. Um, and it, it reminds me a lot of that. So there's like an element of nostalgia, but there's also a part of me that's like, haven't we graduated past this point? So that's the feeling that I'm getting wow, right now. Oh, all yeah. right. Yeah. So I guess if I had to assign a number to it, if we're going with the, the mm, mm, mm. zero to 10 scale, <laughs> I'd probably do a 7.5, maybe a right. 7. Fair enough. Seven to, 7.5, yeah. I think yeah. this is a show that, I ultimately, I, I do like, I did enjoy it, um, mm-hmm. but that I can also pick a number of holes in, like there are yeah. some things about it that are really sort of nagging at me, Yeah, but in it, it's sort of the experience of in spite of those, you know, I like yeah. it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into, I think, what some people are gravitating towards as like yeah. one of its strengths initially, which is its realism or accuracy in terms mm-hmm. of portraying the inner workings of a restaurant. So yeah. you have everything from like how frantic the kitchen is, like the breakneck pace and the stress and 
with this crew, like they go from camaraderie to tension to like explosion. Um, mm-hmm. and then also the reality is of like razor thin margins, how much just one small thing being off can throw everything out of balance and yeah. just cause this chain reaction of catastrophe and like on the verge of, you know, breaking down and everything blowing up. Yeah. You know, reviews have come out, uh, from, Eater, for example, they they pointed out how accurate that is um, in terms mm-hmm. of the restaurant world, which is refreshing, I guess, since often yeah. films and TV, they don't really delve into this. It's, it's much more a thing of like a beauty in a tourship. And it is yeah. that also, but it's also everything, all the backbreaking work that goes into it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. While I was watching this, I was like scared every time someone picked up a knife and started like... Mm-hmm. kind of drifting in and out of like consciousness like their their own sort of um self-awareness or like arguing because yeah. i was like someone is gonna lose a fucking finger yeah um yeah <laughs> and there are injuries but one of actually probably the biggest examples of this kind of kitchen occupational hazard kind of funnily happens without much incident or fuss like it's just it happens and yeah I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah, uh, yeah, it made it, it, I was a little bit anxious while watching a lot of this because it does kind of, it gives you like a tiny dial of stress that they just keep, keep dialing up and up throughout the series. Yeah. Um, but I've yeah. seen, um, I've seen comparisons to Uncut Gems. Um, yeah. Felt a which, tiny bit of that, but Uncut Gems sure. is just like a oh my whole God, other level. It's a whole other level because the stakes are different. Yeah. I do wonder what other chefs think about this when they're watching it. And sometimes you don't want to watch a world that you're already a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have seen some, like, initial reaction on subreddits that are, Mm. like, chefs and cooks, like, commiserating. Initial reaction seems to be pretty positive. Like, a lot of people do point out, like, oh, this actually felt, like, more like a real kitchen than uh, what is otherwise portrayed on on TV and film so often. Uh, Yeah. So... At least that initial stamp of approval from yeah. anon- anonymous cooks and chefs on Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess speaking of realism, one of my bones to pick with it is its portrayal of Chicago, yes. which is. Yes. It's been something that people who are from Chicago, like they've been commenting on. Um, the showrunners are not from Chicago. So right. it kind of it tracks. Yeah. I have a lot of fondness for chicago as a city like mm-hmm. as a midwest person yeah went to chicago a lot i lived like not in chicago but sort of reported in around chicago for like a year after college yeah, yeah. i like I, I like chicago the chicago in this series seems like chicago from another time or at mm-hmm. least another geographic location so this yeah. is a small nitpick but like this restaurant is set in River North, supposedly, and yeah. also it's supposed to be like current day because they do reference like COVID. Yeah. So, yeah. but it does not really resemble the environment that I would say it consists like makes up River North. Yeah, um, dude, River North is fucking nice, man. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's a lot of hotels, like chains, like offices. It's it's mostly like tourists or office yeah. workers in yeah. that area. It's definitely gentrified and it's not a place where you'll necessarily find like these random gang fights or like there are restaurants a few restaurants like this one like this restaurant is modeled after a real like italian beef place called mr beef in river north but yeah it's kind of a stretch in some points to 
suggests like, oh, people in this area, they won't understand what risotto is or yeah. like we're in danger of being gentrified. Like that's yeah. already happened. That that yeah. happened a long time ago. Um, yeah. So I think one of the things that if you're a Chicago person, it might kind of be annoying because so often Chicago is used as like the, I'm referencing um, a Substack post by the comedian Ashley Ray. She says, mm-hmm. Chicago becomes here like a kind of attitude, a shorthand for realness yeah. and grittiness. Yeah. And certainly that can apply, but yeah. you maybe get the details of that more yeah. right if you're like trying to go for that yeah. sort of portrayal. So um, we're gonna go into we're gonna go into spoiler territory. It isn't that important, but the thing that really bugged me was when they get shot at, like yeah. the the restaurant gets shot at, and then they go to the I don't know the heavies that they just kind of you know stay on the street, yeah, on and deal. I'm guessing, yeah. What was that? I don't that's know what so, that was. Yeah, like drive by, just random drive by. Like that's not sure. Maybe very rarely that happens. That's not a, the type of thing that like would happen in this neighborhood or this like. So it's again, it's like what kind of posture are you trying to take? And, yeah, like, you're throwing like increasing the tension, like the the drama. But if you're gonna do that, like put it in yeah. another Chicago neighborhood. Like put it yeah. in another time. Like yeah. it's it's just like it's small details like that. That like, very small. Yeah, no, kind I'd... of kind of annoying. Because <laughs> I get what they're trying to do. Like the whole thing of. As restaurateurs, you coexist in the community and Mm -hmm. sometimes some unfavorable or like criminally questionable (laughs) adjacent people, like you you have to deal with them and you have to just kind of be street smart about it. Like a lot of restaurateurs are street smart. Yeah, for sure. But um, just the delivery of that was very bizarre. Clumsy, bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah. But enough about like my nitpicking at accuracy because as we all know tv is not just a vehicle for realism or whatever like uh yeah. it's okay i'll sure. move past it you can you can totally <laughs> bend the truth yeah what, whatever yeah. yeah i'll start with something that i do like which is or mm-hmm. i like but i have a, some mixed feelings about uh, again is i i do like the mix of characters that are in yeah. the kitchen many of yeah. them are pretty like archetypal like you have Mm-hmm. The tortured male auteur chef, you have the loudmouth asshole Chicago bro, and genius protege, like the the spicy hard ass Latina with, with like a heart of gold. They are like yeah. archetypes, <laughs> so that does get tiring. And I'll say, but some of them do get the opportunity to reveal more depth as the show mm-hmm. goes on. But a, yeah. another bone to pick right now. The pacing kind of really messes with some of the character development. Yeah. Like, yeah. some of them who should be undergoing more growth, they just don't. And some of them yeah. suddenly change so rapidly in the span of, like, half an episode. Half a, And the episodes are only, you know, 30 minutes long. So, they, yeah. you, you see an attitude shift uh, almost immediately. And you're like, that feels mm-hmm. a little bit unearned. I'm not sure where that came yeah. from. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts around the characters in general? I... I agree. I think the thing that I did like about Tina, for example, like the, mm-hmm. the tension between Tina and Sydney yeah. was refreshing because you don't tend to get that between two female characters. So the fact that they were just like beefing yeah. um, was great because like, yeah, like it isn't necessarily a dick measuring contest between two men. Sometimes two women can do that to each other as well. Yeah. Um, so I like that. Um, but... I agree about the pacing. And I think while you were talking, I realized what my actual, like the crux of the issue that I have with the show. Mm -hmm. The thing about TV writing, as a viewer, it's something that I really highly value. Like no matter where you set it, your character development has to be your main priority. It has to be the thing that you 
invest the most time in. It has to be the thing that you are tracking throughout each episode. And I'm not saying that they didn't track it. I just think that whatever the balance between the accuracy of the setting was, you know, like the kitchen dynamic and like the different characters and how they kind of play into it, that balance between that and then like individual character development of the of the main people that we're focusing on, that tipped more towards where are we and what is happening mm-hmm. rather than the character development. And I mean, it's interesting that we're doing it in a kitchen. It's interesting that we're trying our best, and it's it's great that they are that they have done something that feels good for the first time in terms of like restaurant depiction. Um, it's just that at the end of the day, you're still a TV show, and I think Kami was almost there, and I, I should bloody well hope so. He's the protagonist, mm-hmm. but Sydney, I didn't get Sydney. Really, right? Um, she. I was given the information, but I, I didn't feel it. You know, it didn't feel earned. Yeah, it didn't quite track yeah. with her, like her a job experience, her motivations. Exactly, like it. It's it's yeah. sort of on the way there, but it doesn't quite click um, yeah. as a thing that makes sense totally. And also, yeah. she is like the the character I think since she is given probably the the second most screen time, um, either yeah. her or Richie, where she does not really experience that like character development that growth like yeah, yeah her attitude at the beginning versus her at the end sure she's learned how to like manage people somewhat but um the actual attitude or um ego like it doesn't really change yeah. she's she's not yeah quite humbled by something that probably should have been a humbling experience for any sort of character yeah. um yeah. that said like i did like some of the characters and performances like i I thought the character of, of Marcus was like really sweet. Um, he's a yeah. pastry chef played by Lionel Boyce. Richie is like such a, a typical character, but dude, I, you know, Eben Moss Bachrock, like he does it well. <laughs> I fucking love Eben. Yeah. Like I remember him from Girls. Yes, yes. And I remember thinking he fucking crushed that role. Yeah. Listen, everybody's trying their absolute best with the acting. It's just that sometimes you see who just goes the extra fucking mile. Yeah. And I just I just think he's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think he needs to get more into TV. He really yeah. like like get more roles, get in film whatever. Like I'm sure this will certainly help because yeah. he's he's just he just lifts off the screen. Like he's yeah. so fully realized. Mm-hmm. Even though we didn't get as much again like the whole character development of like why he does what he does, it didn't matter because he's such a good actor that I just bought him as yeah. a character. Oh, when yeah. he turns, like, you get the asshole him, you get the douche, yeah. you get, and then you get the vulnerable side, you get his daughter, you get him him crying, his sense of failure, like, all of that. Uh, it, It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll also shout out Jeremy Allen White as Carmi specifically. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking, like, yeah. the episode seven explosion where things just oh, come my to God, a head. So good. So that was a one-up, right? So they, they yeah. started filming that in one take. Um, which yeah, yeah, roll your eyes, like yeah, classic film fucking shit to do. I get it, but it's fascinating because like again, you realize who is so professionally trained that this is nothing to them. Like it just felt. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't nothing to them when they were performing it because it's one take, and if you fuck it up, then you have to start all over again. Mm-hmm. But he was so good. Yeah. He was so good. Yeah, very good. Uh, and now I'm gonna shout out someone that I hated, and I texted you this, Pelin. Yeah. So. Abby Elliott as Sugar, the sister of Carmi, 
terrible. Like, what is yeah. this character? First of all, they stick her with the the worst lines. Like, they they yeah. stuff whatever little exposition they have in this series. Yeah. They give it to Sugar, and then Abby yeah. Elli- Elliot's delivery of those lines just awful. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really don't understand. That's just it, you know what it is. Up. Can I can I talk a little bit about line deliveries too? Sure. I think Io is amazing. You know, she's been in a, a couple stuff in TV, and this is like the first time she's actually like had the opportunity to sink her teeth into a role, and mm. I think she did a great job. But there were times where I was like, I can't tell if I'm annoyed by what you're saying or how you're saying it, and it's the same for Sugar too. Yeah. I think. It, yeah, I think. Maybe with the the characters, Sydney, there was some there were some line delivery problems too. Yeah, you have to. I think as an actor, you have to remind yourself of like this is maybe the way that I talk, but I need to kind of switch it up for for my character a little bit. I don't know, but it was a, yeah. The issue with Sugar was definitely like, are you there as exposition as a character? And that's kind, kind of, of it yeah. Like. It it, it yeah. was that. So like, yeah. I'm sorry she got saddled with those lines, but also sure. just like yeah. The performance, the delivery, it reminded me of uh, yeah. more or less like TikTok acting, which is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the bar is low there, you know? And I guess like that, that sort of lead me into that point about like, yeah. we really don't get much about all the circumstances behind the grief and trauma that the show is like centered on. Like there mm-hmm. is very little exposition beyond Sugar's dialogue, which is very unsubtle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Carmi's eventual monologue and then you know when they set it up a little bit at the beginning but for example we never find out what is the deal with like these kids like their mom and their upbringing which is like hinted at there so many times that it was somehow very dark there's mention of a father yeah yeah don't really um, get into it don't get into yeah. it Carmi's yeah. trauma from his fine dining days you can sort of see the effects of it you get one scene of it from those days that's kind of mm-hmm. okay um, but mm-hmm. again not that much on that don't really get much about what was up with the older brother Mikey before he died. Uh, yeah. That one makes a little more sense because part of the point is that Carmi himself realizes how little he knew his brother in like, yeah, actuality, yeah. and like, and and he functions as like the ghost that haunts yeah. the season and also haunts him. Yeah, mm, yeah. So, but they yeah. really like skate by a lot of the exposition so many times, mm-hmm. and <sighs> that brings me to like the finale, um, episode eight. The discovery. Yeah. I don't... I understand, like, literally what happened. This is a spoiler alert. They find, like, $300,000 or something in cash in sealed tomato cans that presumably Mikey had paid some company to can for him. Right. I don't understand what that means, this restaurant, why, how it will work with the finances of the restaurant. Like, what what does this mean? But like we also know that he owes he, he owes, owes money. Yeah, Cicero, the family friends. Yeah, who's played by Oliver Platt, who I fucking love and have loved since I first saw him on West Wing. So shout out to him. Thank <laughs> you for taking this role. Extremely enjoyable. But yeah, I don't get the relation between the money that's owed to him and this. Yeah, like if they find this money, won't they just have to pay that back to Cicero? Right. Like what and if well, I don't get it. And like if they use that money to from what we understand, build a new restaurant, isn't Cicero going to be like, where the fuck are you getting the money from? Yeah. So Mikey basically just borrowed all this money so he could stuff it in cans and leave it for Carmi? A question mark? Yeah. Yeah. I don't... I'm not quite sure. Like, it's supposed to be significant, but again, like, 
kind of use maybe a little bit of a hint somewhere as to like what this yeah. means and how this how this works practically yeah um and it's just it's yeah. weird because obviously like we know that they owe money to cicero but cicero isn't gonna break their fucking legs you know like it's that there's there's still some goodwill between them um, yeah and he, he doesn't friend. seem pressed to get his money as soon as possible like they're doing stuff for him eventually yeah. to pay that tab they're doing but... like they're picking up a birthday party a bachelor yeah. party here and there i don't know maybe they'll get into this know. in season two if it is renewed maybe um, and i will say like we have been basically picking on the show like all of the holes in it and like i said there are quite a few holes but at the end of the day i do want to emphasize uh this is out of love for me Maybe not for Pellin, but I did like yeah, no. I did like the show. I like yeah. you know I like the ragtag family dynamic. Mm-hmm. I like how much it tries to create a sense of place, even if just within the restaurant, since the place yeah. outside of the restaurant is like not accurate. Yeah, um, I love how much it loves food. Like I, yeah. I, I, I do yeah. appreciate the the care that goes into like the the shots of whether yeah. it's like the dough being prepared for. Marcus's cakes and and, mm-hmm. and donuts or like how mashed potatoes are made and like the mm-hmm. the looks of elation on characters' faces as they yeah. realize this is what good food tastes like. I like all that. So there is there are things to yeah. like. It's just that it is, of course, weighed down by some things that are kind of rookie mistakes, I think. Yeah. Um, even though the showrunners are not rookies. I get what you mean. I do appreciate because I think if you're having a show about a restaurant you need to show that you love food as a showrunner um, for the viewer because, you know, why are we even here? But, you know, the very things that you're talking about, I thought that they milked it a little bit too much. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that whole, like, every time Tina ate something and was like... She made the face. I thought there were were one too many of Uh, those faces. I'll I'll say that too. I'll agree with that. Um, um, you know, the reason why I liked Marcus's storyline, because it felt a little bit more accurate st- slash natural, because you have someone that is organically getting into yeah, it. That's um, built into his personality. Like, you see that clearly from the beginning. He does have yeah. kind of the hope or ambition to, to go further. Um, yeah, it's it's just, I think, you know what it comes down to? And I know that, like, some people have talked about it when they review it is like why are they even doing this you know like why is i I think it makes sense for kami because it's deeply related to his brother and like the emotional background again the rookie mistake is we're not given enough context like Mm -hmm. why why did mikey cut him off why is he banned from why was he banned from the restaurant why didn't he see his brother for two years what's going on yeah, and then you know what's their parent dynamic what's going on there hopefully we'll discover this in season two I just want to. I just want to give a shout out to Matthew Matheson, who plays the handyman. Fact, he was also like a co-producer on the show, and I guess they had him around on set just to kind of make sure that everything was accurate and everything. Um, he's yeah. a, he's he's an interesting for for us anyway of as food, people in media, the food world. media world. Yeah. yeah, he's an interesting character. Yeah. Um, but and this feels good. I'm happy for him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets to play a little comic relief. Uh, it's nice. Yeah. What did you watch this week, Pellin? So this week I watched American Girl, which is on Netflix. This is a Taiwanese slash Taiwanese American film, um, but it was produced in Taiwan. And it's the first feature film by Fiona Ran Feng Yi, who won the Golden Horse. The Golden Horse is at the Film Awards in Taiwan, but she won the Golden Horse for the Best New Director for this film. 
This film tells the story of 13-year-old Fen, who is uprooted from her life in LA when her family moves back to Taipei after her mother's cancer diagnosis. So it's set in 2003. It captures a moment, I think, for Ryan Feng Yi, who I think she kind of bases it on her own life um, and went through something similar. Just a heads up, it's set when the SARS epidemic is starting to brew, but I will say it isn't a priority for this film. It's just kind of looming in the background. So what did you think of this film? Well, you probably know I'm a sucker for, like, the, I guess, like, the, the diaspora experience. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's sort of cliche, but it's also, you know, these sort of films like this or The Farewell, like, they, they play right into a sort of pleasure-pain spot for me. So, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. liked it. I'm glad. I also liked it. I think I knew I would love this film within the first five minutes. Um, it's it opens with the airport luggage area where they where they're trying to haul their suitcases, and then the drive, and then entering the apartment that they're now going to be staying in. If you have ever experienced that as a diaspora kid, <laughs> it's just that feeling of like displacement. Especially, like, I don't know about you, but, like, whenever whenever we would fly into Turkey in the middle of the night, it just felt extra spooky and weird and mm-hmm. discombobulating. Um, yeah. Because like obviously already, there's a time difference, too. Yeah, you know? you're already sort of out of it from the flight, the time difference. Yeah. Like, where are you? When is it? Um, yeah. It feels almost yeah. like moving in a dream, especially when you're young. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, needless to say, as Jenny mentioned, this one is for the diaspora kids. It is all about what it's like to go from a place that you are familiar with, a place that feels very specific to you, and then going somewhere that is very specific to your parents. And having memory of it when you're young, but then realizing that it wasn't a dream, it wasn't a history, it's still current. You know, I think with uh, Fen and their family, they all were born in Taiwan and then moved to America. So this is this is like the their their family situation and their father stayed back in Taiwan, travels back and forth between China working and then they were in LA uh living their lives. And that feel <laughs> that feeling of being somewhere brand. And I don't know about you guys um when you went back to China but like toilets in Turkey as well used to really fuck me up because there <laughs> used to be like holes in the ground and that would just stress yeah. me out so much. And it's so visceral because there's a smell to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I was not a happy diaspora kid whenever we went back to the motherland. So this was, uh, this was pretty funny. I, I felt like I felt for Finn, you know, <laughs> like, so. But saying all of that, this film is, it's about a mother-daughter relationship, which, you know, if this is your first time on this podcast, welcome. This is what we do. This is the thing that we love. Yeah, for, for our, for our listeners, we're back on it. Um, <laughs> this is our beat. <laughs> I just want to also give a shout out to Karenna Lam, who plays Lily, the mum. But, you know, both the mother and the daughter here, um, Lily and Fen, they are not coping well with their newfound reality at all. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, this relationship? What are your thoughts on Lily in particular? Because I think she had like the toughest role out of the two of them um, to execute. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, it's a film where you watch and you feel for everyone involved in different ways you feel for them but you also feel the resentment towards them and you can understand completely why in all directions yeah so the mom like she (sighs) has cancer like she is sick yeah and still you know there's all the housework to do there are the two kids to take care of Mm -hmm. her husband 
is MIA, but that's also because he has to work. He has to work to be able yeah. to care for them and provide for them and continue yeah. to pay for the treatment and for the kids. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you have Fen, who is so unhappy and sullen as like only a young, you know, preteen can be. Like she, you mm-hmm. can understand she feels so uprooted from her life to somewhere that she didn't want, she didn't choose. Yeah. And she didn't choose yeah. to have this experience. And she's sort of hates her mother for it, even though, yeah. Yeah. you know, she's, she's young. She gets in some sense that her mother has cancer. She, she She's mm-hmm. tired of her talking about it all the time. But it's like in that bratty, but understandable sort of way that everything is about you, like a self-centered sort of childishness yeah. here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think the thing that it is very accurate about this resentment is yeah, like like you mentioned, they're both straddled with their own issues and their their own realities. Lily, Lily's constant mention of her death mm. and like the way that she just assumes that it's going to happen and is not afraid of just telling her <laughs> eldest daughter. There's something very accurate about it. Something that like I feel like my mum would do that shit. You understand, like even though Fen is like bratty about it, you understand where it's coming from because she is now dealing with. The fact that her mother might die and the fact that her mother keeps telling her that she's gonna die. You know, like there's no yeah, <laughs> for Lily, there's no alternative. Right. You know, I'm she, sure the, that's not that's not great for uh No, it's terrible for the kids' mental to, just to cope inc- with. Yeah. Incredibly terrible for the kids' mental health. You can kinda see the therapy bills uh, racking up in real time as mm-hmm. as this is happening to Fen. Um and you know, the trickle down effect that that has on Anne, Fen's little sister, and the way that she's mean to Anne, like unnecessarily yeah. mean to Anne, yeah. um, because she is trying to either play the role of aggressor because she feels victimized, uh, which is what kids do sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. to, to other kids, this why bullies exist. Um, it's just, it's just fascinating and like really very accurate. It doesn't shy away from showing the fractures in communication between every single family member you know like and also how like quickly things can turn like at one moment you might be screaming at each other like uh yelling slamming doors and the next minute you're like hugging and um like pawing at your mom and like going out and like laughing and smiling so hard at a restaurant like things can flip so quickly in in a matter of instance yeah, exactly. Um, I also really liked the relationship between Lily and uh, Huang, like the mm-hmm. the way that they have been married but separately for for a while, and you can kind of sense it. The way that she criticizes him is frustrated by him, mm-hmm. and the, the fact that they're back together, and she's just like so frustrated by him, and he's so frustrated by her, and there's just like this air of tension. But when he when he finally broke down on the stairwell, oh, yeah. I cried my eyes out. Cause Me too. That's real, bro. That's fucking real. Like, sometimes you're just... You can see his bewilderment throughout the whole thing. The the way that he's fumbling through fatherhood. The way he's fum- fumbling through marriage. Yeah. Um, and trying his absolute best. And then just... Yeah, it does a really good job of, I think... Whether or not it that was the intention of showing, even for the adults, their inner children, you know, <laughs> like yeah. struggling deeply to to figure this shit out. Yeah, I'm um, really glad that they gave him that moment. Yeah, yeah, because they you could have easily have not. Um, yeah, but it's so important. It's so important to see him break. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to give a huge shout out to the Internet Cafe blogging moment um, <laughs> when uh, 
this is this is probably a spoiler, but it's still funny when you watch it. But when Fen goes into an internet cafe and starts blogging, and in the title of the blog, she wrote, "I hate you, mom," <laughs> and I laughed out loud. It is so accurate. I mean, I have personally been there, um, just in the, in the peak of my frustration. I don't think I wrote it on an internet blog, but I certainly put it in my diary, uh, which I knew my mom read at the time so oh yeah very spicy it was necessary she had to read it you know she had to see um but <laughs> it was just funny um i i love that that was included yeah. yeah i mean the thing is like i never went to school in turkey like that but you know th- this kind of covers that as well um yeah like yeah. the way that different experience too totally different like the way that you have to cut your hair um Mm -hmm. and then like i think for you guys it's different because there's a uniform but like for us growing up in the uk we also had uniforms so that wasn't Mm -hmm. a different part but it was it was more like the corporal punishment part of it was oh god yeah it was like jesus they this (laughs) like this is allowed like in america i don't know if they still have that that's the thing i asked i asked my husband but he doesn't know either but it's Mm -hmm. like i think back then it did exist and it was like on its way out Mm -hmm. which is something that you know you see happen in the film where they talk about it and the parents are like nah like go for it (laughs) which is (laughs) classic um but yeah i mean including that i i did get bullied a little bit by other turkish kids for like in the neighborhood yeah my husband also went through it when he when he went back to Taipei, where people would just call him like American boy because he kind of sounded different when he talked oh, yeah, Chinese yeah. too. That's part of it, a hundred percent. I sounded different speaking Turkish, but also um, like even just the way you dress, like yeah, they can yeah. they can pick up your on your clothes, on your totally. shoes, on your the way you do your hair. Totally. Um, yeah, I was always like really tall for like a a chinese person yeah i'm five seven but like sometimes it's taller than like some of the adult men who yeah. are like on the subway with me yeah. or whatever and but that, yeah that just goes, the size of you and everything 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 like the way that you carry yourself and it goes both yes, ways yes. it goes both ways because i can tell when someone is from like literally from turkey it's just it's funny watching them bully her in this because i w- when i went through it there's a jealousy there like i think a lot of these kids were just like deeply jealous that there was someone that was living this cool foreign life that they all wanted uh and maybe some it wasn't the case for some of them but that's that was kind of what i felt mm. um because kids kids are mean you know they don't really know how to say what they mean and mean what they say um, no yeah. and they always bullies have existed and will exist for ever no, yeah, whatever forever. it is yeah. They'll put the, any the reason disc- may change, but yeah, Dude, it's the, the issue difference. is that you're different. It's that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. All there has to be is a discrepancy between you and them. Um, yeah. and they'll pick on it. Um, but yeah, I I love this film. I love like you know we talked about accuracy doesn't have to be the whole thing, but I really appreciated the accuracy in this because I think it really spoke to a, a singular experience that feels very universal for a lot of diaspora kids. Um, yeah, and you know I'm not Taiwanese. I didn't go back to Taiwan, but there was just something. <laughs> Just, I think you know through the acting as well. She's so good. Like this is her first ever role, and I think she's amazing. Just the sullenness and the the, mm-hmm. the resentment is just like seeping from every pore of her. And yeah, I get it, kid. Fuck me, I've been there. Like it's it's so so good. You know, go, going to the to the final part of this film, I really loved the lack of real resolution. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of the thing that is the thing that we're following, which is Lily's cancer diagnosis and her treatment. And, you know, that's the whole reason why we're even here. We don't really get to find out what happens to her. You know, we don't know whether she does live. We don't know whether she does die. And you'd think that that would fuck it up. But the way that it just stuck it and the way that it understood 
that that wasn't what this is necessarily about mm-hmm. it's not about the destination it's about the journey you know like mm-hmm. just the usual shit um yeah we 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 don't need those questions answered we just need an emotional resolution which we get mm-hmm. that's really sweet it's a really really sweet last scene you know my husband cried he said that he cried at that scene because there's something oh. very intimate about that ear yeah. cleaning process you know mm-hmm. um it's very sweet how, how did you feel about it? did you want to know did you want to know what found out happened to lily no i think it ended on a good at a good place you know we don't want to see whether it's like oh a jump into the future or you Mm -hmm. see lily in a hospital bed or you see like the slow i don't know like um things getting worse or things getting better maybe like i i I don't necessarily want to see this this is about like a certain point in their life like this this brief window when things are still in flux and i think that that adequately you know covered all of it yeah so this week for culture we were sort of going back and forth about what to talk about seems kind of difficult to talk about anything else unfortunately so I think in light of the Supreme Court decision, we thought it might be an interesting idea, at least, to directly recommend some films that are very related to everything that's going on with abortion and reproductive rights in this country. Um, So, Pellin has a a short list of some films um, about abortion that you might be interested in watching. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that sometimes you want escapism, but sometimes it's good to watch some things that are directly related about something that you're concerned about, and it feels a bit cathartic, a little bit like a therapy session, in a way. Um, that's how I treat it sometimes. Um, so, for the record of this podcast, we have recommended three films. The first film is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is kind of related to what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast episode um, about changing the life of at least one person and about community and about coming together and care. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a rom- it is a romance film, um, but there is a scene and a character that requires an abortion. And we see these, you know, three women get together to make sure that it happens. Um, and there's something very heartfelt about that. And there's something very heartfelt about a woman like a, a group of women in a in a particular time in France like very back in the day like extremely centuries away dealing with something that still feels very current but that feeling of um sisterhood essentially and like coming together to make sure that as a community you take care of each other it's very hopeful i really like it um so i recommend that um the next film i would recommend is a little bit more directly related to our times right now um this is a film by eliza hitman so this film came out in 2020 this is a film about a girl from pennsylvania who travels to new york for an abortion so uh very very (laughs) very deeply related to what we're going through right now it's a beautiful film it's heartbreaking so it is something that i have a little bit of a trigger warning for because it is um it's a lot it's a lot to watch it um but again directly related so if this is something that you want to see depicted on screen in the film format i highly recommend it um the last film is vera drake which is a mike lee film i'm a huge mike lee fan this is a story about a woman that performs abortions in london in the 1950s when it was still illegal again through history we've always been dealing with it and abortions never end 
they still keep going no matter what the law says again it's about community it's about someone trying to do something to make sure that women get what they need in life um so those three films i think are my favorite films uh that cover abortion that cover community with abortion um so i recommend those if that's what you want to do if that's what you're feeling you know film is an escape but sometimes it's something that crystallizes a moment in time unfortunately these three films show us that it seems to be a little bit evergreen yeah reflection of of life so if there are any other works film or tv that you think might be helpful for this moment let us know i don't know on on social media or or email us whatever we're we're always available yeah and in the meantime hope you all are taking care of yourself taking care of the people around you yep taking care of your community i highly Um, recommend buying a plant or a tree and looking <laughs> after it. Yeah. Yeah. Just a note, we are off next week for mm-hmm. 4th of July weekend in the US. Yes. yes. But we'll be back the week after that with mm-hmm. regular episode like always. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, let us know if there are any other things we should check out, whether related to abortion or not. Any mm-hmm. sort of recommendations. Uh, we're at criticismisdead at gmail.com. Also, criticism is dead, all one word on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to message us or add us or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out criticismisdead.substack.com for extended show notes, including yes. links or summaries to everything we've been talking to, and then a little bit more. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts or podcast platform of choice. Five stars only, please. Yes. Uh, maybe feel free to tell a friend about us or whatever you like. Thank you so much and see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Ji Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lu.